0: got your Bibles, go ahead and get them out to uh, 1 Thessalonians, this book we've been just devouring the last couple of months and weeks, and uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians today, and uh, if you've got your notes with you, your handout has an insert in it with the scriptures, and we're really talking about uh, finding hope, and what happens when hope wavers, or we are using the term today, what happens when hope falters, when it kind of gives in, when there's a a problem with our hope. Maybe we're trusting in God to lead us. We're living a life that's pleasing to Him, and something goes awry, or we go astray, or we make some choices that are not uh, healthy. We fall off balance. In fact, the picture I'm getting today, and and follow me with this, with me with this if you would. You guys remember what uh, a a teeter-totter used to be like? I don't think they have them on playgrounds anymore. They have springs under them and some other safety things because back when there was like actual iron monkey bars and merry-go-rounds that didn't have seat belts on them. Do any of you grow up with those? Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. They had these things called seesaws or or teeter-totters. And uh, I don't know if anybody else did this, but my brothers and I, we used to love using them like catapults, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'd, we'd be teeter-tottering, having a, having fun, but then we'd decide that one of us should get off before the other one gets off. And whoever got off, of course, it went down, and if the other person was still in process of getting off, they'd get launched. You, you follow what I'm saying there? And often, people got hurt. <laughs> in fact, the one who decided to get off and and, and Successfully got off, hurt the other person's bottom. You know what I'm saying, right? A bruised tailbone or something. You know. And uh, did you? Am I the only one who did that? Is anybody else relate to this? Okay, okay. In some ways, when you get off balance with God, when you're trying to walk with God or trying to be in His His role, and you get uh, and you lose hope. Maybe in this case, we lost hope in the other partner. Um, somebody's going to get hurt. Often, all parties get hurt. In fact, we're going to talk about that today because the Apostle Paul dives into a new section. Up till now, he's really been talking about the foundation for our uh, our relationship with God. Now he's going to get into the practical day-to-day issues. He's going to get into how do we walk out our faith? Not just what kind of faith and love and hope do we have, but how do we make it uh, lived out in our lives? This whole next two chapters, uh, the next two chapters. So we've got like 43 verses leading up to this, talking about what the foundation is. Now there's 46 verses that deal with how do you put it into practice. I don't know if that speaks to you, but (laughs) sometimes it's harder to get stuff into practice than it is to get it in your head. That's kind of what David was talking about today, wasn't it? It's sometimes harder to walk it out What's interesting is he, uh, he starts out this section by saying, finally. <laughs> I love preachers, don't you? When he says, and finally, you think he's going to be done, right? A couple more chapters to go, okay? <laughs> you know, the new definition of an optimist, that when the preacher says, and finally, he's going to actually quit, you know? Uh, nobody else thought that was funny. Uh, finally then, brethren, read this along with me. We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk. Notice that word, walk. Notice how you ought to walk. We're going to focus a lot on that today. In fact, it's twice there. Just as you do actually walk. Actually walk. You know, sometimes we think of that as an insider Christianese word. You'll see somebody walk up to a Christian in church and say, or maybe in a Bible study or something, hey, how's your walk today? And if you were an outsider hearing that, you'd be going, what do you mean, how's to your walk today, you know? But we kind of know what we mean when we say, how is it that you are walking with the Lord today? How is your walk with God doing today? Because that's the word he uses. How you ought to walk and please God. Put those two together. Walk and please God. For you know what commands we gave to you by the authority of the lord jesus for this is the will of god your sanctification that is that you should abstain from sexual immorality and that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor not in lustful passion like the gentiles who do not know god and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. And so he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives us his Holy Spirit, who gives his Holy Spirit to you, the very thing we just sang about you know, as we talk about hope um, faltering, what happens when hope falters? I said everybody gets hurt. Who, who, who's the number one person who gets hurt when we falter in our faith, when we falter in our hope? In, in that picture I was giving of the seesaw, who is it that's the constant, non moving part of the seesaw? Who's the fulcrum around where the leverage goes? That's the Lord. He doesn't change, He's solid. And He's saying, I've got a plan. And if, if you live to walk out your faith, live to please the Lord, he says there will be a good result for everyone. What happens when we falter? God is not pleased. Jot that down. If That's a blank there. God is not pleased when we falter, when our faith, our hope wanes. This word, uh, this word, walk. Think about walking for a minute. What an interesting word for the apostle to choose for our, for this word for us to live out the Christian life. It's not a head thing. It's a walk it out thing. It's a live it out kind of thing. So, how is your walk to live and to walk? He says to please to please God. Now, have you noticed some things about about walking? Let me point out a couple of things. Number one, walking is very intentional, isn't it? I mean, if you're standing in one place, you decide, I'm going to move forward, and you begin to walk step by step. It's intentional. Number two, it takes energy. It takes effort. If you don't exert effort, you end up just standing. Now, there's nothing wrong spiritually of standing firm, but the description he's given us here is a movement in your spiritual life. Not just standing like we would stand against temptation, but a movement. Because what does it do? It's incremental. Walking is incremental. I don't just jump from here to the sound booth. I have to take several steps to get there it's incremental that's a description for the spiritual walk with god we grow incrementally not in leaps and bounds no? so it's intentional it takes effort it's incremental and it moves you from one place to another it moves you from one place spiritually to another you heard that in dave's testimony this morning 52 years in one place, and God moved him to a new place of of intimacy in his walk with God. So he may have really felt like he was just standing still, filling his mind, filling his brain with lots of good answers, but not walking it out, not living it out as God wanted. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden? I know some of you were there remember the biblical passage about the Garden of Eden what's the picture you get of God in the garden walking and talking with Adam walking and talking in paradise sin separates them and Adam's hiding from God and he's no longer walking with the Lord but God comes to him <laughs> he clothes him and once again he yearns We're all of us to walk with him as if it were the garden again. He yearns for us to have this uh, moving spiritually from one spiritual place to another with him. Notice uh, when you're walking, there's a, a moment in each step where you're kind of off balance. I mean, we know how to do it, but you ever watch a little one that's just trying to learn how to walk? And and, and they, they stumble because when you take one foot uh, and you try to balance on one foot before you get the next foot out, there's a risk, a huge risk, right? Walking with God can be like that. There's, there can be moments of <laughs> imbalance. And we learn how to put our feet in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, and to walk it out. And sometimes we take three steps forward, two steps back, <laughs> there's this place on the, uh, if you summit Mount St. Helens, there's this place near the top. The last mile or so is just this white ash. It's just, it's like sand. How many of you climbed a sand dune? It, it's like that times two. Okay. So you go up three steps and you slide back two steps and you go up three steps and you slide back two steps, and It takes forever. You you can see the top, and you're like, you're trying to get there. And that's often the way it is with the spiritual walk, where we're, we're moving forward, but there's blasts that push us back. There is a force against us that does not want us to make spiritual, biblical progress. And sometimes you'll feel that way. You'll feel like I've taken three steps forward. Why am I taking two steps backwards? Why is this happening to me, the way it is. You know, sometimes uh God wants to correct our walk. He wants us to to, to sense his, his leadership in our walk. We don't start out running. In fact, a lot of us need correction as we go. I've shared this story, I think, verbally with some of you. Um, when I was born. I was born with a severe pigeon-toed stance. So severe that the doctor said, this kid will never walk. They said, there's no hope. This this is so crippling. He's never going to walk normal. So my folks um, took me to a doctor. Of course, I don't remember. This was like three months old, five months old, or something like that. And they got me a brace. In fact, I was cleaning out my mom's house last summer. She moved from the big ranch on the acreage to a one-bedroom apartment. She's downsizing. Cleaning out her stuff, and I found the apparatus. <laughs> this is the, um, these are the anti-pigeon-toed device that they put my feet in. And then every week, I guess, or month or whatever, they would incrementally, you can see the pattern too, they would turn my feet out. And I must have have outlived the size of the shoe because they cut the ends out because I guess I kept growing. I don't know. I I don't know the details. My mom can't remember. Why did we cut those out? But uh, I guess I'm surmising that. So what the doctors wanted to do was to correct an error in my walk, knowing that there's no way that guy at 50 or 60 years old is going to climb Mount St. Helens if he doesn't get those pigeon-toed legs and toes fixed, you know? And and, and God is very interested in perfecting and growing and, and solidifying our walk with him. He wants us to have a gate, to have a progress, to have a walk with him. That's why he uses that term. That's why he uses that word, to walk with him, to talk with him, to spend time with him, to live and to walk. See, we can, we can live and walk to please ourselves. We can live and walk to please other people. But the motive here is really, really clear. He wants us to live and to walk out our lives to please him. That's the number one and really only motive Worth living life for. Live to please God. I exhort you in the Lord Jesus as you receive this instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God. Now he's really careful to remind him just as you're doing. He's he's like, I'm not berating you. I'm not criticizing you. I'm not hammering you over the head because you're not getting any of this. But look what he says. Here's the important part. For that you would excel still more. I'm giving you this instruction, not because you're doing poorly, not because you're doing, because you're doing a bad job, not that you're not already mobile and getting walking, but he says, I want it to be still more. There's a closeness. In fact, I say this, live like you're growing, and like growing is always a goal. It's not, I've arrived, I've got it down, I've, I've, I'm now done, No, there's never a point this side of heaven where we're done. We always are being drawn to a new and closer, more perfect walk with the Lord. And it's to please him. This week, uh, I was in a home group and I was with a new Christian who was just discovering this. Maybe you've discovered this. He, He said, the more I get into the Bible the more I realize there's like layers because I read it and I think I understand it and then I read it again and I get more out of it and then I read it again and I get more out of it and then you preach about it and I get even more out of it and he just goes, is there any end to the word of God? It's like, nope. Nope, it's going to be that way as long as you live. Growing is always a goal. I don't care if you've been a Christian for the last hundred years. Well, that would only be Don, he's 90. Six right ninety-five. <laughs> I don't care how long you've been a believer; it's not a chronological thing. But every person has the opportunity to say, "I have walk to grow in. I have walk that yet is to be." In fact, there's always more growth, and you've never uh, uh, arrived. Live like growing is always a goal. Live like um, live out what you already know. Jot that down. Brent, can you uh, fix that? I think it's stuck. Um, live like you uh, all. Live out what you already know. Notice he says this: "For you know what instructions we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ. Live out what you already know in Him." See what Dave was talking about earlier in his testimony. He was knowing lots of things for fifty years. What's important isn't what you know. It's what you show. It's how you live. It's what you put into practice. And God wants us to, just like these new believers, he said, um, for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will not move forward until you put what you know into practice. Put what you know into practice. It's not designed to be knowledge-based. So, God is not pleased when we falter in our Christian walk. You know what else? People are not protected when we falter. One of the things God's most interested in is is how sin and lack of hope hurts people. He doesn't want people to be hurt. Just like in that teeter-totter, that seesaw, somebody's going to get a hurt bottom. Somebody's going to get bruised. And he says... In this case, when we sin, when we don't walk right, when we falter, people can get hurt. In fact, look what it says. It is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. Boy, he's jumping right into a biggie right here. Sexuality and sexual immorality. See, he's really wanting us to think about the effect of our lives on others and how it affects our, ourselves and others both. You know, a lot of people will ask, uh, Pastor Bruce, will you pray for me? Because I need to know God's will for my life. I don't know what school I should go to. i, I got to go to a college and I'm, I'm praying. Would you help me pray about God's will for my life? Yeah, we can pray. about. It. I'm buying a car. I might buy a truck, but I need to know God's will. Well, let's pray about that. I've got these two job options and I need to know God's will. Let's let's pray about that. But more often than not, those specific cases of God's will and choices pale in comparison to the stuff we know to be God's will. In this case, it is so clear. It's God's will. What is he saying? It's God's will, it's God's will that you be sanctified. Oh, brother. Now Pastor Bruce is bringing up those big words. Sanctified. What's sanctified mean? Sanctified means set apart, made special. If you were to take the the, the china out of the china closet and set it on the mantle and say, this is set apart, that was sanctified. In fact, some churches call their auditorium their sanctuary because all they do in that sanctuary is worship. We call ours an auditorium because we do everything in here. Like last Wednesday, this place was full of a picnic uh, potluck. You know, It's not set apart just for worship. It is for worship now, but he's saying, I want your life to be set apart. And there's three sections to a Christian life. There's justification, there's sanctification, and there's glorification. You know, the justification, hopefully all of us have had an experience with Jesus, like Dave was talking about, coming to Him, making Him the Lord and the Savior of your life, being immersed into Him, trusting Him for your salvation. That's called justification, where all of your sins are washed away. But He doesn't leave you there. (laughs) He loves you just the way you are, but He loves you too much to let you stay that way. Because the next section, and it's usually from the time you become a believer, until you go to heaven it's called sanctify or sanctification that's where you become more like jesus that's where you take on christ likeness you put on a walk with him that grows you in an intimacy that's called sanctification now the glorification guess what that is that's the bible john, john says it this way we know him as he is and we are fully known by him the Bible says, and we become like him. It's like, oh my goodness. It's no longer becoming like, like Christ. He says we are. Justification, sanctification, and glorification is our process. And the main one we are on today is this one. It is God's word that each of you should be sanctified. Now he's going to jump into some issues. Um, after he says, follow God's revealed will, it's real clear, he says, I'm going to talk about some issues of sanctification. You almost always see it coming. Money, sex, and power. I think there's a book written about that, isn't there? Money, sex, and power. The things that trip us up and the things that are often at the heart of struggling to walk his way. And so he jumps into the one that I think illustrates sanctification for all of us. He says um, that you should avoid sexual immorality. God's will is that his people would walk with him in such a way that sexual immorality is not a part of our lives. The word here is, uh, you'll recognize it, pornea. Pornea is the Greek word translated sexual immorality. You know the words we get from pornea, Pornography or pornographic, or some people just abbreviate it, porn. Now, it's not just in our world, porn. In this case, it's all forms of sexual immorality that are outside of marriage, outside of holy matrimony. God gave us this phenomenal gift of sexual expression, and He designed it to be a powerful bonding tool between a husband and a wife. He designed it to be this powerful tool, but when it's used outside of the bounds of marriage, it's much like a a raging fire that's meant to be in the fireplace, but if you take that raging fire out and spread it out around the home, what happens to the house? It burns down, and that's the way sexuality is in our culture. The way sexuality is in our culture, it's taken out of the fire, outside the bounds that God meant for it to be a beautiful gift. And now we wonder, why is the place burning down? Why is, are, we, are we such a, a culture that is bound and held captive by pornea, by sexual immorality? Now, lots, of, uh, lots of sin, the Bible says you're supposed to stand against, you know, stand against temptation. Put on the whole armor of God that you may fight the good fight of faith. But when it comes to sexual temptation and sexual sin, guess what the Bible says? Run! Don't take it on. Flee, (laughs) you know. Look at this one in Timothy. Paul's talking to his young understudy. And he says, flee youthful lust." Paul is uh, writing to Timothy he's a young man. He's just a kid at the height of, of sexual energy. And he says, Timothy, flee youthful lust and follow after righteousness, faith, love, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Timothy, flee. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, flee sexual immorality. Same exact word pornea. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But what is sexual sin? <laughs> it's if a person who sins sexually sins against their own body. You're inviting your own body into the, the sin. There's something more powerful about sexual sin than any other sin. Some people say, well, sin is sin. Well, according to this verse, yes and no. There's a power God built in sexual sin and sexuality that is undeniable. Now you might be saying why is he writing this to this church in Thessalonica? I mean, they weren't American culture with a highly sex-charged culture, were they? Oh, believe me. They were just about where we're at today. I mean, it was a seaport. Thessalonica was a seaport with a lot of cross sections of highway, right? But it was a it was an international city. And so every day sailors came into harbor with uh, sexual appetites. And so there were service workers that were there for the sailors. Uh, There was a Greco-Roman culture that um, all their religious expression involved sexual activity. When they went to a pagan temple, there were sexual uh, workers at the temple. I mean, it was highly... Profane. In fact, the Roman men saw nothing wrong. It was natural, it was common for them to have several sexual partners outside of their marriage. In fact, the only reason they said they got married was so they could legitimize their children and have someone to run the household. They didn't see anything different. So when these people become Christians and God says, there's a way to walk out your faith that involves your physical sexual life, they're like, How do we do that in this culture? He's telling them, in some ways you've got to flee the sexual temptation and to uh, trust God. He says, avoid or abstain from sexual immorality, just like in our culture. He's telling them to protect their eye gate, protect what they see, protect who they are, and protect uh, those. In fact, I put the uh, Flee in there. Fill yourself with Christ. Lock out lies. Exchange lies for the truth. And expose yourself to the light. That spells out flee in case you want to. Uh... Oh, remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Remember Joseph, this man of God who was working in a, a Potiphar's house? And, and uh, she became sexually attracted to him. And every day tried to trip him up. Tried to take him out. Tried to take him down. And one day, she tried to get him to lay with her, and he fled. And he left his coat in her hands. And guess what she did? Rape! Rape! She yelled rape and got him in trouble, got him thrown in jail. By the way, sometimes when you walk and you're upright and you're walking God's way, sometimes you'll still be persecuted. Sometimes everything won't go just right. Here's what Joseph said. He said, how could I sin against my master who's trusted me with everything, including you, his wife, and sin against God? An insight that he had because it wasn't just hurting a person. It was hurting his relationship with God and God. So he says, uh, let everyone have self-control. Self-control. The answer to sexual immorality is self-control what's one of the fruit of the spirit self-control god's spirit wants to breed and bathe us in self-control each of you should learn to control his own body the bible says holy and be honorable in that now someone might say i can't you can't control that that's a sexual urge and it's just natural Wait a minute, you can always stop. I was talking to teenagers about this, you know. I said, Well, you can't stop. I said, Well, now, if you're in a car and you're messing around and a police officer knocks on the window, what do you do? Well, you stop. Oh, okay. If someone gets, you know, immorally in bed with somebody else and their spouse comes in with a shotgun and <coughs> cocks the shotgun at the door. What happens to the activity? It stops, right? Oh, you mean you can stop. You're just not motivated to stop. You catch the difference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here he's saying self-control. Don't, don't, don't worry about outside influences and shotguns. What we're asking God to do is with his Holy Spirit, make that more powerful than a policeman's knock on the window, more powerful than a shotgun cocked, being cocked in front, in front of the door to say this is really where my motivation comes from. God's leading me to self, a self-control that he says, be honorable. That's the best motive. In fact, uh, he says, live a life with a godly standard. Not like those pagans who don't know God, the ones we were talking about, who have uh, uh, immoral relationships and don't think anything about it. He says, the people of God have a different standard. It's a godly standard. It's saying, God made us with a goal of bonding and that's what sexuality is designed to do in a promiscuous society sometimes we'll do this illustration I've done this with the teenagers a lot you get some uh, some tape maybe duct tape or packaging tape and you have the kids um, when stick it on somebody you know and it's meant to bond two surfaces together the tape but when you stick it to someone's clothes or their hair and it gets kind of lint on it and it, it becomes less and less and less likely to bond. And the illustration is obvious. God meant for sexuality to be that bonding experience. And when in a promiscuous society, lots and lots of partners, lots and lots of uh, dis- disasters happen, the, the bonding potential becomes less and less. And then we wonder, why our marriages not lasting like God meant them to, to last. Some of it is we've sold out his bonding potential in the power of godly standards uh, sexually. He says, "Don't do what the, the pagans who do not know God. Instead, follow me and one last one. i got to mention this: Don't defraud your brothers and sisters or your neighbor. Or your co-worker or anyone what's he mean by defraud don't use the the sexual appeal don't use the sexual appetite to take someone along to build someone up or lead someone a place where you are not supposed to go guys gals this is common in our culture to use that sexual tension and sexual energy in a way to see how close to the edge we can get without going over. He said, that's that's defrauding your brother or sister. And, and God says, I'm going to be the avenger. <laughs> it's not a new movie, The Avenger. I'm not going to be a, that kind of avenger. I'm going to be the avenger of those who harm their neighbor that way. That's like getting off the teeter-totter and causing the other person to fall. He says, be... Um, in that matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister or defraud them, the Bible says. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins because people get hurt. People are not protected. So God's not pleased and people are hurt. What's the last one? The last one is you'll miss God's best. You'll miss God's best. If you falter in this hope, if you aren't able to, to, to follow his plan and his walk for you, he says, for God did not call us to be impure. Think about that. But to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God. For the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So you were set apart. You were designed to have a set apart life in him. And if we hope in Jesus, it turns us from things that are going to harm us, harm other people, and not please the Lord. So he's calling on us saying, I've got a better plan. I've got something for you. So think about these application points. Walk to please God. Walk to honor people. And walk to experience God's best in your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, passage that's so descriptive and helpful for us. Thank you for calling us to a life and a, a relationship of walking with you. Lord, would you help us in our walk? Would you help us to, uh, to block out anything that's not in strict keeping with your best for our lives? Father, help us to live holy, honorable, and life-giving life giving life-sustaining lives that that bless others, that cause us to grow and help us in our walk with you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who maybe needs to uh, accept you for the first time. Lord, just clear the way and encourage them, bless them as they take on uh, commitment and a trust relationship with you. Lord, for anyone who has uh, just feeling this morning like they've been uh, too far away or pushed back from you? would it be like uh, in David Pancost's life, uh, just a, a sense of a new draw to intimacy with you? Help us, Lord, to, to turn everything over to you and ask for your forgiveness, to confess our sins to you and to just receive not condemnation, but grace, grace upon grace. Lord, we ask for your uh, blessing today. We ask for your leadership. We ask that everything would help us to walk intimately with you. We take some time right now to remember the gift you gave to us and have given to us in your son, Jesus. We take some time to remember and reflect on that justification that we have through him. Thank you for making our walk possible because of the cross. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.